Legends oh. of Korra was not as good. I don't recommend it. No, 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 That no, is no, such no. a hot I take. I love Legend of Korra. <laughs> Korra is my baby. And like... I wish I never saw Legends of Korra. Oh! I, okay, also it's Legend of Korra. I'm just gonna <laughs> tell you. <laughs> Welcome to Stack Snack, the Seattle Progressive Asian American Christian podcast where we talk about what we're eating and what's eating us. I'm Christina and I go by she, her pronouns, and with us today is. I'm Pauline and I use any pronoun. I'm Thomas and I go by he, him pronouns. That's us today, and we were talking about what we wanted to record on, and Thomas was thinking through, you know, this new foods new you idea and I was thinking like oh wow like for me it's more like same food same me so um but we are entering into a new school year academically speaking and Pauline and I are both going to be starting another year or a new year of grad school (laughs) and um Thomas you had you know this you were going through this experience of having this like restart so maybe you can share with us what has been on your mind and what experiences you've been having in terms of new foods and new you. Reflecting on how when the pandemic first started, everybody was into bread and new hobbies and all of these things. And then also shout out to uh, the top five podcast with uh, Liz Lynn and Chris Peck. And I was just thinking about how Chris was like having disposable income during a pandemic since nobody spends their money going out and stuff. Mm. And it just kind of got me thinking of like, oh, well, maybe this is something that I can start exploring or Jenny and I can start exploring. So for the month of September, we've been doing a spending fast where we literally have not spent any money apart from groceries um, out. And it's kind of like restarted and re-kicked the newness of the pandemic of sorts since I feel like that was a lot. Everybody was eating in when the pandemic first started. What have you gleaned from this experience then? Before I would think, oh, I want to buy that or I want that thing. And now it feels like, oh, that is a cool thing that I could want or buy, but I also don't need. And just kind of knowing that there's like a a diet or a fast just feels liberating, I guess, from consumerism. That's where I'm at. (laughs) As you're saying that, all I feel is like, I want to get to there. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go to there. I want to go to there. Just because, like, I don't know. (laughs) I just honestly, like, as much as I profess an anti-capitalist ethic, like, I'm definitely using, like, consumerism to plug my feelings right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just hard. Like, uh, Pauline and I were joking earlier today about, like, this tweet that we both saw about this person who, who said, like, oh, you know, like, every day I feel like, oh, I've had an overwhelming day. I need to reward myself by like having a big expensive meal delivered to me over Postmates, except I've been doing this every (laughs) Every day day. (laughs) since March. And like, I don't, I don't really even remember what it feels like at the beginning of the pandemic anymore. I just feel like I wake up every day filled with anxiety, but it's like new anxiety. Like it's not like, I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, my anxiety was I feel like today could be the day I contract the coronavirus and I die. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, I don't fear that as much, even though it's still there, but I'm just anxious about so much. And like having been like primarily trapped at home for like months now, my anxiety has only <laughs> increased because I'm literally just swimming in a pool of my anxiety every day in the four walls of my house. <laughs> <laughs> And the only outlet I have is just to, like, buy things. (laughs) No, but I think what you're touching upon is exactly what I'm, like, trying to cleanse. I don't know if cleanse myself is, like, the right way to even, the right orientation to be thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But just feeling so free from that. Because for, like, the first four or five months, it was shopping at Amazon, getting, getting anything delivered, right? That was, like, our new adjustment. And I definitely feel you in that now this has been... Like, this is just life. Life just continues this way. But all of our lifestyle adjustments that we've made 
um, I don't think anyone is necessarily waiting for it to go back to quote unquote normal. Right. Yeah. Um, it just is. And so I don't know. I've been kind of doing some self-reflection and I personally don't like where I am and how I've adjusted. And I remember thinking like earlier in the pandemic for one of our quarantine projects, we were working on our garage. So we epoxied all the floors, painted the ceilings and the wall. And it's just like every time I walk in, it's like, oh, I feel like productive and accomplished in in a season of life where productivity is no longer measured the same way. Mm, and yeah. so, yeah, just thinking about how um, other people have been sharing about the things that they've been working on or doing. And the last like two months, I've really felt like I have nothing to show for it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is just like whenever I feel that way, I always tend to revert back to resetting or restarting or like fasting and dieting from certain lifestyles or whatever so yeah could be like a consumerism detox or something like obviously we're never going to be able to swim out of the capitalist waters that we breathe or whatever like we're never going to be able to get away from being consumers but we can from time to time like reset our relationship to it Mm. like as a structure Mm mm-hmm so wanting to be able to like have a healthier relationship with it like I think is really good and I mean I bought like a $50 like meditation cushion today for no reason other than like I was like it's embroidered and I love it so much and it's gonna be so perfect but well the longer that you sit on it the cheaper it becomes (laughs) the more I fart on it the more it depreciates (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's like full of like buckwheat and stuff so it's like you know it's gonna be good yeah, I had to like make myself meditate earlier today because I was in a state just there's a lot of stuff happening. And I was like, I need to get more serious about like establishing this as a routine. And I'm like very influenced by these videos of people being like, I start every morning on this meditation cushion. And so I was like, I will become that person by purchasing this thing. And then I will demonstrate to myself that like, I am serious about instilling like a new behavior or like a new pattern because I really need to like get my sleep right get my eating right and like get my routines right because I don't really have a, much of a routine right now other than working um before school starts because like I want to give myself the best possible chance and I see buying this $50 meditation cushion as like me trying to give myself my best chance mm. um my bank account obviously disagrees um but it's fine we'll have our disagreements from time to time so <laughs> I wonder if there's been some unconscious ritual where like like it kind of reminds me we've talked about this before on the podcast about the beginning of a school year and like school supply shopping oh my gosh right and like getting all of those fresh binders and things like that the the ritual of starting school for, for, for you for you both starting school again maybe there's a connection there I don't know yeah, I really agree, and I respond to that. Like, um, my background is actually in archaeology, so I feel like oftentimes, even though I work more in contemporary art now, I'm constantly looking at the relationship that people have with objects, and that's just how I see the world. And I think it's actually one of the most important re- relationships in, in our lives, and we don't spend enough time sometimes thinking about... Um, how objects shape us as much as we shape objects. Speaking on the consumerism level, like beyond that a little bit right now, um, I, I think what you're sharing is like really valid. Like on a ritualistic level, they're objects, like these objects, like getting a binder, getting, you know, mm-hmm. even a fresh pad of paper to write on. Like those are things that help us orient time and our place in the world and Um, there's like the very tactile experience of like smelling like new paper and like a new book and those things are really important and yet like when there is a value like a dollar amount that is attached to that and then there's like consumerist value it it shifts the conversation it isn't just like a relationship with an object anymore like there's a whole global commodity chain Mm, like attached to it and like so I feel like I, I kind of like I guess maybe it's my internal struggle (laughs) because I really value, um, I have such a deep relationship with objects. Like I'm the type of person that like thinks carefully about 
throwing away a piece of paper I used like four months ago and I'm like, oh, I have an emotional attachment to God. <laughs> and then I go into this rabbit hole like about an anthropological perspective about like, you know, how much this piece of paper means to me. But then like I then it's very easy. There's so much slippage between that and consumerism where I do define myself based on the objects that I'm able to accrue. Just hearing the both of you share that, like, it really helps me reflect on, like, oh, yeah, like, how much does consumerism, like, rule my life? Um, and how, how much do I also pin my own self-worth and value based on the objects that I'm able to buy and own and keep? I really appreciate hearing you, like, Thomas, about um, your perspectives on this, like, detox. And, like, I think it gives you, like, a moment of pause to really reflect on, like, your relationship both with, like, objects themselves and, like, consumerism. Thanks. <laughs> you feel so validated. No, seriously. I was, like, I was, like, oh, my gosh. Thomas is, like, preaching a whole sermon right now. <laughs> what? Especially because I, I just constantly have always had a problem with fasting, like, especially fasting food oh in, like, a spiritual context. I've always been, like, can I just do, like, Ramadan? <laughs> can I do where, like, sun goes down, I eat, you know? Can I just, like, I've never felt closer to God with fasting. I've never felt, like, you know, this tremendous spiritual experience that people have talked about. Oh, man. I just, for me, like... Food is, I can't stop thinking about food, and I can't, like, the idea of relinquishing food is, like, so hard. Mm. And I can already hear, like, the pastors that I, I used to, you know, be in relationship with telling me, oh, then, you know, you're idolizing food, blah, blah, blah. So I know that, oh okay? Oh, wow. I know that. Oh, yeah. I don't think you're idolizing food. I don't know. I, I don't think know. when you're idolizing something, it's, like, directly interfering with your relationship with God. Do you feel like food is directly interfering with your relationship with God I mean I just shared that like I've tried to fast and like never felt closer to God because all, all <laughs> I can think about is like what I would rather be eating right now. I don't know I don't like fasting either though so Oof. I mean but that's like that's because for me as a person like I can't like I can't like deliberately fast without it sliding straight into disordered eating mm. like I can't like as a like I can't physically do that mm -hmm. and so I've just never I've just never felt like somebody else should do that mm -hmm. yeah I mean like I, if other people want to do it like that's fine but like I would never like recommend it to somebody because I, I don't know what other people's relationship is to food right and I but I, I honestly have never heard that conversation come up in the churches I've been in like it's always been just unequivocal like if you don't fast, and especially, you know, they talk about, like, a Daniel fast at the beginning of the mm -hmm, year in January. Mm -hmm. My friend got pregnant off of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> she, it, like, cleaned out her body, and she, like, immediately got pregnant. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's, like, a whole thing. She oh, wow. cleaned it out to make room for a baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, uh... There's a lot to unpack there. Um, but, yeah, like, it was never talked about, like, that there is this possibility that, you know, it could be harmful in terms of yeah. disordered eating. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And, like, people have so many... There are so many ways to have a relationship with food, with eating, with nutrition, with your body, with your body image, with, like, mental health stuff. Like, I, I could never imagine recommending it to a large group of people. But I'm, I'm not... I mean, I'm not, like, a spiritual leader or anything, mm. but it's not... I feel like as much as the church talks about the body being a temple, I'm, I'm like, I feel like if you're going to go into the body being a temple, then like you should also take some responsibility and teach people to have healthy relationship with their bodies. Cause like anyone who like looks at me and like sees my tattoos is like, Oh, like judge, judge. Like you don't have like a good relationship with your body. And I'm like, how would you know that? Like based on what I look like, but, like, even when I first got a tattoo, I, like, I gave my parents a heads up. I was like, by the way, I'm getting a tattoo. And my dad was all like, it's not biblical. And I was like, I don't, I'm still getting it. Like, I'm not, this is not, like, a chance for you to, like, make your case. Like, um, I have 
a lot of feelings on like how things are or aren't biblical. It's a like it's like a to me it's like a living piece of history that encapsulate encapsulates like so many different cultures that like when people argue that like a certain kind of marriage like isn't biblical, I'm like, okay, let's look at the many ways that like marriage is expressed in the Bible. Like what does that even mean? Yeah. Um well, so, and, okay, I'm which not, standard of biblical are you applying? I know. Right. There's so many. And I'm not going to fight your dad who has, like, a literal PhD in theology. <laughs> yeah, but I am like going a, to fight your dad. A New Testament scholar. <laughs> because, like, I mean, you know, you can argue that we shouldn't be wearing, like, two, clothing with two different textiles. Or braiding our hair. Right, you know. Or wearing like, gold jewelry. It's or... such a, it's such a cherry-picked standard. Yeah. You know, with, like, tattooing and, like, sexual mores and, like, sexual sexuality. You know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I I just, yeah. There's, we, there's so much. Yeah. Well, this is why I think it's so crazy that, at least in the Korean American church, like, youth pastors are relegated to, like, younger adults, typically male. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, part of the tract before you get to, like, an English ministry pastor or, like, a adult <laughs> pastor position. But like you were saying earlier, it how can you expect a youth pastor who is probably still in seminary, still being deconstructed, let alone constructing mm-hmm. their own theology, to mm-hmm. think thoughtfully about food and like how fasting and can lead to eating disorders and, and things like that? I, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm feeling sympathetic for all these <laughs> patriarchal <laughs> youth pastors who are like setting them, themselves up to fail from from standards that would be ideal, but... They're already, like, drowning in paperwork and reading and procrastinating, let alone trying to be a <laughs> good role flash, model. flashes back to... <laughs> I know. I'm, like, projecting here, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you but you understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you know what it's like to be at that part of your life and then also being tasked with being some sort of, like, moral leader over these young people's lives. Like, it's a lot. And I'm always really vocal. Like, I'm always a vocal critic of, like, the topics that I feel like the church wants to wade into, but like doesn't actually take responsibility for and like explores, like especially around relationships and like intimacy. I used to like be in Twilight fandom and everything, but I just like absolutely refused to watch the movies. Like I think once I watched the third one because it was playing nearby, like in the living room of the house that I lived. But yeah, it's just. I mean, all we do is, like, sit there and, like, stare at Kristen Stewart and then talk about, like, relationship boundaries. (laughs) Because, like, there's so many, like, toxic, like, borderline abusive concepts that are just, like, brought up again and again in these movies. And And that are just seen as romantic. And now that we're, like, old and, like, judgy, we just, like, sit there and, like, I, I just sit there and I feel like I just, like, nag about, like, she's like, yeah, it's, like, totally fine that you come to my room every night and watch me sleep. (laughs) <laughs> like what? what and like you know it was just like such a huge cultural phenomenon that I think a lot of people internalized these messages and and like I I feel like I draw a lot about like the author being Mormon and a lot of her like anxiety around virginity and like mm. wanting to be in the outside world I mean because like the cover of the first book is like you know holding an apple like the forbidden fruit of <laughs> what the fuck is it called of knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Okay, yes. sorry. I was like, I don't know what the Bible says anymore. But <laughs> but I, I just, you know, there's a lot about, like, Bella wanting to turn into a vampire and Edward refusing because he sees it as her going to hell. But I'm like, it's not just a giant allegory for, like, losing your virginity. Mm. And, like... And, mm. and he... No, and how he phrases it is that by becoming a vampire, you lose your soul. So, yeah. like, losing your virginity, equating mm-hmm. that to losing your soul, which is, like, oh, my God, can we please unpack that? Yeah, I mean, like, virginity is, like, fake news oh. or whatever. Like, it doesn't exist. But it the power that the concept has in the culture and the power that it has to, like, shame people into, like, forcing them to do whatever they want with their bodies or whatever. Yeah. It's it's really sad. And, like, also, these since these movies came out, um, how long ago did they come out? Like, they have, it hasn't been in the last decade. And so, like, now it's 2020, and so, like, now I just want to view it as, like, a period piece. With, like, okay, what were people, like, very concerned about in, like, the 2000s? And it's, Mm. like, they were really concerned about, I mean, they weren't, like, concerned with, like, policing young girls' bodies, because, like, that's been forever too woke of a, like, 
too woke of a take for back then. But, you know, just like equating all this like innocence and like knowledge and growing up and virginity. Okay, okay. And I, I feel like this ties back to an earlier point. Can we also unpack that Twilight is, at least for the first, you know, few books, is all about Edward trying to stop himself from eating, literally <laughs> eating <laughs> Bella. Trying to have her in space with the whole first movie, he's like, oh, you smell terrible because I want to eat you. Yeah. Like, so, like, I feel like, okay, maybe this is too much of a stretch, but, like, there's, like, a theology of food that needs to be, like, because I think, like, going back to your earlier point about, like, the church abdicating its responsibility to, like, you know, how it's both, like, super nosy about, like, people's bodies mm-hmm. and, like, their relationships with each other and yet, like, not really telling people what to do mm. or, like, not or, providing guidance. Right. Or, and, like, like healthy telling people too much what to do and, like, not actually seeing that there's, like, an actual spectrum of people and, like, it's a lot more complicated than these, like, binaries that are put into place. I just think that, like, it's really interesting because I've never heard of a theology of food, especially when, like, at least in Catholicism, Mm -hmm. there's so much about, like, you know, the Eucharist and, like, Christ's body. And, like, you're, like, actually imbibing. Right. This whole, like, vampiric existence (laughs) of the laity (laughs) consuming Christ's freaking blood. Like, it's, it's like. Wow, that was Wait, I poorly timed or... <laughs> no, I thought it was just your really intense um, experience of what we were talking about. <laughs> that we're making these intense theological breakthroughs and your body, like, just can't hold it. <laughs> <laughs> Epistemological ruptures. It's the audio it's experience like, we It's like the please. same, like, vein of, like, the Jesus is a zombie theory and... Mm. What? The what? The Do you what? Not, no. Do you not know this? this no. Is, this is... Okay, this there. All I'm, I think about is trans Jesus. <laughs> Look at my top surgery. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that if you searched on Twitter right now, you oh will find God. a really brilliant thread on Jesus is a zombie. Like it's a thing. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for something else. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> Jesus but, but, is a zombie. Like okay. there's this whole like vampire blood situation, body situation, like drink my blood. Like oh god, it's so ingrained into th- Catholicism, and I feel like it's also there in the Mormon context with like, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Stephanie Meyer does not speak for all Mormons. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And my knowledge of Mormonism is limited, but I kind of feel like it's it's at least insinuated in the subtext of Twilight. <laughs> what, is there, a, do we need a theology of Twilight? Is that Oh my I'm, god, <laughs> a theology of Twilight. Can someone pay me to be a, a Twilight, Twilight theologian? theologian. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, um, have you not seen that there's like the Zen of Pooh, like Winnie the Pooh? Like there's like Oh, I really these... thought you were going to go into the other kind of Oh no, of not, like, not like, not <laughs> like. To go back to our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's like a book called like the Zen of Winnie the Pooh, like, um, and then they're all, yeah, there you go, there you go, and, um, there's also, like, definitely philosophy books about the Matrix, which is, like, also heavily, like, Mm, mm. Christian-influenced, and trans, yeah, um, which, like, the Wachowski siblings have said that it is a trans, (laughs) (laughs) it is a trans allegory, see, trans Jesus, it keeps coming up, yes, indeed, I affirm this, But yeah, like it's it's interesting that for food being so present in church spaces in different iterations that we don't really talk about like actual like problems to do with food and like the church also doesn't do anything to mitigate them. <laughs> and we're like is the church not doing enough for eating disorders? <laughs> Today's breaking news. (laughs) I've been like watching X Files, um, obviously, (laughs) from earlier when I was like trying to redo like Scully's Branch or whatever. But it's really, it's really interesting um, to watch it with the lens of being like twenty three years down the road. And obviously, I mean, they rebooted X Files like four years ago. Um, and I actually had to, like, stop watching this season because one of the episodes was, like, extremely Islamophobic. And I was like, wow, I not in my house. So, um, but it's just, it's so fascinating to watch 
like the themes in this TV show and like think about like what like uh, there's a lot of like rape culture um, so there's a lot of like gender anxiety but I don't mean that in the sense of like exploring different gender identities I, I literally mean like they were really you know being stuck in this like male female female binary um, and then also hearing people talk about like sex in the city and like friends as being really dated period pieces that like don't hold up and I think Parks and Rec entered this territory a couple years ago where people are starting to look at it and be like oh like all the all this like fat phobia and like native jokes are like really fucking horrible and like at the time I mean because like I watched Parks and Rec like the whole time it was airing like obviously you see these jokes but then like having hindsight down the road you're like I don't know why I was okay with just like accepting it at the time and like I've always believed in consuming media um like I always think that to appreciate the act of criticizing media that you appreciate is an act of appreciation mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I don't think that just like staying silent and just being like whatever like it's just a silly tv show or it's just a silly tv series like Twilight I don't think it's appropriate and like I think that if you completely hold yourself off from like criticizing things because like you think they're like frivolous or like trivial I think there's a reason why things like Twilight are so popular. Like it, it, it speaks to something within people mm -hmm. and it touches on like a lot of the current cultural themes. And so I don't know what the point I'm trying to make. No, I, th I think like just to add to what you're sharing, like I, I really agree because I think, I Oh, think I was going to talk about like environmental movies. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you, I'll let yeah, you get yeah. to that. I think um, the point I want, wanted to make was that everything operates in an ecosystem of thought and, are actually a visual culture like why I'm so invested in researching visual culture and mm -hmm. media and tv shows movies all play into it it's because it all they they are very real representations of like how we think and what we think and mm -hmm. the fact that you can identify that that's dated shows that there has been some change in society and that like the cultural discourse has changed yeah. and like that is a very worthy point worth noting it's also okay to be wrong Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like mm -hmm. in our culture, when, when I say our culture, I'm kind of referring to like progressive liberalism kind of culture of like, um, everybody wants to be like out woke the other person. Mm -hmm. And th yeah. that kind of competitiveness leaves no room for growth and yeah. humility. And like, yeah, I mean, I think it's okay to be wrong mm -hmm. and, to, and to accept that and embrace that just I mean, this is my whole philosophy on, like, why people suck at apologizing. <laughs> it's like, you know, totally own up to it and, mm -hmm. like, allow that experience to hold a mirror to who you are now and kind of guide who you want to become. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I guess I just wish that there was a culture, a community that can, can support people along like a path towards re redemption versus like shaming an outcast and maybe even borderline cancel culture which is a different thing but i like literally have not been able to stop thinking about jessica krug to the point where like it's intrusive i know i was mm. i was thinking about that as well because there's this like i feel like society often like related to what you're saying thomas that there is this idea somehow that like there is this thing as like a destination called the most woke mm. and that like there are these people who have reached it and they're in nirvana and they're like the people leading us there and like this whole jessica krug thing has like <laughs> just exhibited that there's no such thing as the most woke and these people who are parading as if like they are the most woke are like an absolute joke of a human being <laughs> <laughs> well like the thing that really i mean there's so many things about her story that really i guess get me mm -hmm. like and i because i think they're indicative of these like larger cultural things but um, and, and just for context, I guess I should just explain that Jessica Krug um, was previously a professor at George Washington University in, um, I think, like, Black and Latinx Studies, I want to say. I don't think that's the actual name of the department, but um, she was a white Jewish woman from Kansas City who um, lied throughout her career and said that she, was, at different times, was, like, North African, um, that she was, I think, like afro-caribbean um that she was like black and um she you know she lied about who she was um i think because 
she wanted I, I don't know what her motivations were and I do think there she called herself like a culture leech and I think that there's this kind of like fetishizing mm-hmm. of like wanting to be a part of other cultures and then not thinking you can do that unless like you fucking like Rachel Dolly's all yourself I mean but Rachel Dolly's all like literally thought she was black which is different like Jessica yeah. Krug knew she was lying the whole time but right. like hmm. one of the things about the Jessica Krug story that stuck out to me was that she repeatedly and people have tons of receipts that she repeatedly shamed other black people for not being black enough or or like like, woke enough yeah Yeah. not being woke enough or not like you know performing blackness or um just just so many different aspects of that 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 are just like so horrible and disgusting but i i really think that she believed that she was more woke than a lot of these other people of color that she encountered and like being an academic and the thing that obviously is a shame is that i've heard that like her research and um her, I don't know, her expertise in the film was actually quite good. Like, her analysis, like, wasn't bad. Like, she had the chops to be there, but, you know, somehow convinced herself that the only way she could do that was, like, purporting to be a black woman, which she Mm. wasn't. Um, And, like, I think what you're describing there is this, like, tendency for people in social justice-related circles to do this grandstanding. Yeah. Like, one-upping each other. Like, the same thing that you're talking about, Tom, is, like, this competitiveness, right? And instead of, like, turning to humility and, like, turning to realizing, like, nah, you know, I don't have to be right about everything. Like, we can try. Like, yeah. we can try to be better. But there's no such thing as this absolute right that, like, once you get there, you're done. You know? It just doesn't happen. Just to connect it to, like, the actual events that are happening today. So, I mean, we're recording this from Seattle, which is on the West Coast, which is being inundated with horrific catastrophic like honestly apocalyptic like, people keep saying like oh this looks like the apocalypse and it's like no i think the apocalypse is here yeah, this like is it. we mm. have actually st- like we have actually ruined the earth to the point where like these are the things that need to happen and actually um so we've had forest fires in the pnw um we had them in the summers of 2017 and 2018 mm-hmm. and then we strangely didn't have them last year I think last year there was a lot of factors. rain Yes. Yeah, and it was very cool. Yes. Um, but, and, you know, and obviously we're in a pandemic with a respiratory virus, but I, as a person with asthma, like, I can't open my doors and windows, which I need for, like, my tiny apartment, because, like, you know, the air outside is also bad. I've been having to, like, puff on my inhaler and stuff, but, I mean, like, it's not, I'm not going to be, like, oh, we're in the end times, because, like, I don't really know how much I believe in, like, the f- the biblical apocalypse as it's like laid out. Are we moving into eschatology? eschatology? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't understand eschatology. I like read the Left Behind books. That's like all I have to contribute to this conversation. (laughs) But but you bringing that up, which, you know, I recently was also diagnosed with asthma. (laughs) So like, it's really interesting because, and it puts us back to like our original point of consumerism because my, like, in order to survive this, I've been thinking about buying an air purifier mm. just, like, so that I can breathe. But, like, that is still just, like, not only am I being marketed that this consumerist, like, act of buying an air purifier is going to save me, but it also doesn't ne- it doesn't treat the root cause. Like, no, it's like an individualistic, right, like, right. way to treat the problem. But do I still need the air purifiers so that I could survive this? Yes. So it's like continually puts me back in that quandary, you know? Making so, you feel responsible for a structural or systemic thing mm-hmm. that you're not in charge of. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same goes with all these pandemic pods and students going back mm-hmm. to school, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Perfect example. Mm-hmm. What's best for me may not be best for society, but... Well, it's like the universities are like, we have to make money, so we're going to bring everyone up here. Like, I saw someone on Twitter be like, I have COVID-19, the university is trying to send me home, I'm not going home, I have a 95-year-old grandmother, this is their fault. Because the university is like, oh, we have to make money, like, we have to bring back the students, and then trying to, like, shame and blame the students for, like, contracting COVID-19, it's like, do you literally not see that you created the situation in which they, like, contracted this virus? It's... Perfect. So for like, for my program, so um, I got a document the other day that basically it's like, you have to sign it and acknowledge it, that 
for our field practicum placements that we are potentially putting ourselves at risk for COVID-19. And so um, th the next day they followed up with an announcement that actually I can uh, choose to have like a completely remote work placement. But that's, that's, it's also fraught for me because I am entering a social work program and I don't, I don't want to do my practicum remotely, but I also don't want to do it in person. So like, I literally, like, as of this moment, like, I don't have to decide right now, but like, I need to fucking figure out like what I'm going to do. Cause like, I, I don't know. It's just like, it's just like a terrible shitty situation for everyone involved. Cause like the university is trying to like, you know, make sure that you understand what you're doing. And so they're having you sign this form, but it's like in signing this form, I also feel like I'm just acknowledging that. I'm if I contract it like it's just like completely my fault and it's like it's not completely my fault that mm -hmm. I contracted this like I'm the one who like has barely left my house since like March you know I am trying my best to like stay healthy and like like other factors in my life like threatening my health like it's not my fault right yeah I don't know it's just it's a horrible situation I was talking to somebody today and saying like you know, if anything, I hope that one of the big lessons we learn from this pandemic is how we are inherently connected to each other and we cannot abdicate our responsibility to the collective whole, like literally the entire planet, because we are connected by the same ecosystem, global commodities chains, what have you. We are so like just this whole viral spread, you know, of COVID and everything, like how they work through these like human links and all of that. We cannot afford to not think about people who we have zero relationship with, like direct relationship, right? We have to understand that we are all so deeply connected. It's not a trite saying, it is just fact and reality. And I fear that like, after all this, we still wouldn't learn it. And I think like culture by culture too, right? So like the governments and countries that have been able to take the necessary steps to like control the spread of the virus and to allow their citizens to be able to like walk outside or like do things that like we in America like are not capable of doing because like the way that this government and like honestly, I mean, even 45 said that he directly like downplayed how serious this was and now like 180,000 people are dead like yeah I mean it's just it's horrifying like we've the fact that we've just normalized that like we can't go outside until there's like a vaccine when there are like are actually a ton of other actions we can take for the collective good in order to get this under control like as other countries have and the fact that it's being so deliberately mismanaged by by the government and we are made to like individually feel at fault for it it's just it's just fucking terrible someone um, on black people twitter said on black twitter is it black twitter i thought it was black people twitter i would just call it black twitter i'm gonna edit that um <laughs> 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 uh, on black twitter sorry to be a twitter scholar no 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 this. that's saving me a lot of uh my one hobby <laughs> yeah but someone on black twitter just talked about how wild and crazy it is that we're choosing to live with a pandemic versus yeah. like trying to fix it mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. that's that's like the better of the two options that as a collective that's what we've decided whether or not we agree with that yeah but yeah, no, I think I think we might be talking about the same tweet because it's just it's really it's so agonizing for me personally to see how much of this is normalized and how we just like sit here and like fantasize about a vaccine. Mm -hmm. The fact that like we live in a country where something even like a vaccine creation can't be political, like can't help but be like political or partisan. It's just like it's really I'm not going to sit here and like be like, oh, like this country is like so fucked. But I mean, it is so fucked, but like, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh no, there's like nothing we can do about it. I mean, you can like register to vote, like please register to vote. Like if you can, like please, please vote, normalize voting. Spack Snack is brought to you by Nuance. As we explore and uphold our ideals as progressive Asian American Christians, Bringing nuance to the table will allow us to make better decisions, like the important decision of who to vote for 
in the upcoming presidential election. Use nuance to apply a harm reduction approach to create outcomes that rejects binaries and beliefs, like how abstaining from voting necessarily provides one the moral high ground. Bring nuance with you to the vote and equip yourself with nuance to help navigate your everyday decisions. It's time for our usual question. What are you snacking on? Thomas, do you want to go? Yeah. One of the things that, well, both Jenny and I have been snacking on is Avatar, The Last Airbender. Oh my god, yes! So I have never seen this show until the pandemic. And I didn't realize that it was on Nickelodeon. I vaguely remember like seeing episodes as a kid, but not really finding much interest in it. But we binged that whole three or four season um, series, and it was just so beautiful. The dialogue was a little cheesy, but we like really fell in love with the characters, and the character development is just next level. Mm. I think the real reflection for me is, you know, I grew up in the era of like WWJD, what would Jesus do? But I, I feel like now I'm like, if I had to describe my new orientation oh. to Christianity, it's like, what would Uncle Iroh do? <gasps> oh my God, you know? Uncle Iroh! He's just such a beautiful man and such a strong voice of security and compassion and consistency that song that he sings for one of the episodes where he celebrates his son's um birthday anniversary and like we i heard it on spotify i looked it up and it just brought so much sadness and i didn't know what song it was until his voice came on the track and i was like wow i was very like emotionally involved with this movie or this uh this tv series and just such a coming of age like epic i think more than anything maybe it's realized it's for me for perhaps i have lost my way and i'm trying to find my way back whatever that means you know Aww. that's kind of what jay and i have been snacking on these last couple weeks what are, you snacking, what are you snacking on yeah i think i just have to talk about the x-files <laughs> So I I also also binged um, Avatar: The Last Airbender in quarantine. I watched it in like two weeks because it's really it goes really fast. Mm. Anyway, I've been like binge watching X Files like it's my job, um, which is concerning because I actually have a job <laughs> and um, I start school soon. But I think I've also internalized it as like if you don't finish watching all ten seasons before school starts, you're never gonna watch it again. Um, so. Yeah, so I was on season one, like, not that long ago, and now I'm on season five. <laughs> so I just, I just leave it playing, like, especially during the weekends, like, I literally just leave it playing all day, and, like, just play Animal Crossing or, like, Pokemon on my Switch, um, because those are the indoor activities that I really enjoy. I do enjoy it, like, I love watching procedurals, I find them really soothing, I watch a lot of, like, propaganda, and so I've been trying not to do that as much um, and be a little bit more cognizant of like the media that I'm consuming because no matter how and I think I just get upset when people say that like media is like frivolous or trivial or whatever so I'm gonna keep bringing this up but like I think that if you're watching something that has the capacity to bring you joy that like no one is allowed to shame you for that and like you should never feel like, I literally just tell people I love BTS all the time, and I just have stopped caring if anyone wants to, like, judge me. I'm like, what's, like, the best thing that happened to you this year? I'm like, well, I went to a BTS concert, and, like, it was really fun. <laughs> but, I don't know, like, if it brings you joy, it brings you joy, and, like, no one can comment on that in a way that matters. And you um, can hold those different things in tension. Like, it can bring you joy, you can still, like, critique the negative aspects of it, mm -hmm. and, like, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I, yeah, again, like, I actually so think nuanced. that, I, like, if we're never critical of the media or the art that we consume, like, is that not the point? Mm -hmm. Is the point not to be in dialogue with even something as trivial as, like, a random TikTok I saw on Twitter or 
like a larger cultural thing. Like earlier in Safeway, I just started going off about how like the lack of like Arab, res Arab representation in Dune, because like it's been you know it's been something I've been thinking about. Um, but anyway, I love the X Files. I think everyone knows what that is. Mm -hmm. But well, I don't know. I feel like the Zoomers may not. <laughs> So the X-Files is a series that came out in the 90s. I, like, forgot what a Zoomer was for a second. And I was like, are you making a boomer joke? I mean, you are making... Oh, no, Gen Z. Well, um, and, like, everything's being conducted over Zoom right now, so there's another layer of meaning. Yeah, like, the Zoomer oh, wow. got so confused. Yeah. Um, yeah, Zoom gloom is, is real. But, yeah, X-Files is a series that started airing in the 90s, in the later 90s, starring Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny. Um, and I love Jillian Anderson to the world of back. She is an icon and I would follow her to the end of the earth. Um, not joking. Uh, actually would die for that woman. Wow. Seriously, like who else deserves it? But like her, like, I don't know. Beyonce. Zendaya. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're FBI agents, which I guess you could also argue is like along the lines of being hot, but um, it's a show that kind they're of space popularized... cops. They're alien cops. They're alien cops. Yeah. Um, so the government, so the government, so the show is like supposedly about aliens, but it's actually about like a government conspiracy, um, which I think is really interesting. They're FBI agents, and I think the show like popularized um, like the Monster of the Week kind of serial episodes, like alongside like a larger myth arc, which is kind of just like the story that happens like in the background. Um, kind of popularize that format so that you have like smaller arcs, larger arcs, but also like you can kind of pop in and out of the show and just like watch random episodes. I am watching it at light speed. And so um, every series finale that ends with like Mulder just shot himself in the face or like he's gone or like a shot rang out. We like don't know who died. I, it's just like Hulu takes like 10 seconds to load the next one, which is great. I highly recommend it. Um, I wish I could just travel to the future for all the TV shows I'm watching right now and just like be able to watch them without interruption. <laughs> please make this, please make this happen. But yeah, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy like their bond. Um, I don't enjoy like will they won't they sexual tension that much and I don't really feel that. Um, so yeah. I am snacking on beauty YouTube videos and food like cooking videos because mm. those are two things that give me some semblance of like control and joy and so they're the two things that I'm using to like plug my anxiety right now <laughs> so I have I just um, imagine you like holding up a beauty YouTube video and like putting it into the dam and be like it's working yeah yeah just like <laughs> <laughs> it's my finger in the dam <laughs> and like so the common factor or common like yeah person uh, bridging these two worlds for me right now is Selena Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> so, because she just released a beauty line called Rare Beauty, and she also um, released a show on HBO called Selena and Chef. And I've really just been enjoying how refreshing she is. Like, she's very real. She doesn't, like, put on any airs. Like, she pushes back where necessary, and yet is really vulnerable and open about her chronic illnesses, about, you know, her mental health, and she foregrounds her mental health in her beauty line, that um, it's really a beauty line really meant to get people to feel a sense of, you know, ownership over their own uniqueness, to make you feel good, instead of, like, a beauty line that's meant to harp on your insecurities and, like, consume and, like, profit off of your insecurities. And so I just really like the ethos of that. And the beauty line has generally gotten pretty good reviews. Um, I've watched maybe 10 YouTube videos reviewing her products. And I splurged yesterday. I went to Sephora. Like, this is another example of me using consumerism <laughs> to, like, <laughs> make me feel better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, literally everything I picked out, I was like, that's self-care. That's also self-care. <laughs> this is also self-care. Um, <laughs> Sponsored by self-care. <laughs> How much does this cost? Self-care. Um, and so I was like, I purchased a few rare beauty things and I tested out the eyeliner today and I like it. And then the show, Selena and Chef, has actually been really great because um, in addition to Selena Gomez being the lovely human being that she is, 
um, you're also introduced to these really great chefs who are like super professional. Um, they're, you know, celebrity chefs or they own like really well-known restaurants and they're like just cooking from their kitchen. Like it's a socially distanced cooking show. So Selena Gomez is like self-filming at home and these chefs are also self-filming at home and they cook over like a Zoom call basically. And mm -hmm. you get to see all these really cool techniques. The recipes are all really interesting but still also really accessible and i learned so many cooking techniques and like recipes and tips and tricks and stuff like that and i felt like i it was like productive in that sense um in, in the creative sense and it made me feel like oh i can do this 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 thing in the kitchen and so it kind of gave me a new sense of motivation and interest in cooking which has been waning throughout the pandemic just because I don't think that I'm that great of a cook and I don't enjoy the food that I make for myself very much. I think that I just find more joy from food cooked by other people who are <laughs> obviously much better at cooking than I. For sure, for sure. <laughs> Which is like, I think I also come from a city like that where like eating out is actually cheaper than cooking your own food mm. um which is hong kong like there's this tremendous food dependency like issue anyways uh, that's a different <laughs> conversation so i i'm really used to eating out and i think my partner is not as used to that and we definitely look at our budget and we're like oh it's also like the right person now. pie chart of what you've spent your yeah money on. <laughs> yeah yeah and like i I'm trying, like, especially in the context of the pandemic, trying to cook more and, like, do more myself. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to make a great pot thai. Like, I'm going to trust, like, Isarn Thai like, to make mm. a much better, like, Thai dish or, like, Thai Thai Kitchen. Shout out to Thai Thai Kitchen on Aurora um, and Pop Pop Thai Street Food. I would like to endorse Isarn. It is so good um i really love thai food i'm just not gonna make it to that quality you know like i could try but i'm just gonna disappoint myself so because i don't want to taste disappointment i rather buy food <laughs> <laughs> don't want to taste the disappointment in my own food yeah and like the the disappointment in yourself is the most bitter <laughs> <laughs> definitely we're such a food podcast i know i t i tell you all i think about is food <laughs> So yeah, I, I, um, that is what I've been snacking on. <laughs> Disappointment. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This podcast is generously hosted by Diverging Mag, and our audio editor is Thomas Yang. Music is by Chucky Kim, and the podcast artwork is created by Kelly Kumarita Martel. For more premium snack content, you can follow us on Instagram at snack underscore snack. Feel free to slide into our DMs with snack recommendations, feedback, and stories of your own. We love hearing from you. Until next time, stay hungry, stay thirsty, and support your local POZ restaurants, or go on a fast. But do it responsibly <laughs> and with love and care for your bodies. We love you. Bye. We love Bye. You. Bye. Bye.